You are listening to a Commonwealth Bank of Australia Global Economics and Markets Research Podcast. This podcast is not investment research and nor does it purport to make any recommendations. Rather, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be relied upon for any investment purposes. You are advised to read the full Global Economics and Markets Research disclaimers, which can be found at www.combankresearch.com.au. Hello there. My name is Dennis Wozniczewski, Associate Director of Agri and Sustainability at CBA, and we just released our weekly report called Dragons Diminishing Demand today, which is the 30th of January 2024. Today I'm joined by my colleague Carol Kong, Associate Director in the International and Sustainable Economics team, to help me delve into the Chinese economy. How's it going, Carol? It's going really well. Um, it's been a while since I recorded a podcast on the Chinese economy, so Thanks so much for having me on and uh, giving me the opportunity to talk about all things China. Uh, how is it going, Dennis? Yeah, all good on this side. An absolute pleasure to have you on because uh, it, it's such a difficult area to cover what's happening with the Chinese economy. It's always it's always great to have someone who has more in-depth knowledge uh, on, on the topic. Sure. So let's get started, Dennis. So what made you choose this title for this podcast, Dragons Diminishing Demand? Yeah, well, we're heading into Chinese New Year, and this year will be the Year of the Dragon, which is associated with strength. And we're trying to find out whether there will be strength or the desire from China to import a lot of grains and oil seeds overall, and particularly from Australia this year. I think there's two main factors that we need to delve into in order to understand whether imports will slow. First, do we expect a slowdown in economic growth in China? If so, for example, feed demand is likely going to drop. And second, are there policies being put in place to encourage local production and shift away from imports? So let's start there. Uh, Carol, where do you see economic growth heading in the next 12 months for China? And is it slower than last year? So last year in 2023, the Chinese economy grew by 5.2%, which was higher than the government's target of around 5%. For 2024, I think the government is looking to set a similar target of around 5%. And I do think the Chinese economy will be able to achieve that around 5% target. But I think it's important to note that number is pretty low by Chinese standards and in the upcoming year, we do see the Chinese economy uh, facing a numerous um, economic headwinds that will make that target uh, difficult to meet. Interesting. So compared to last year, it's not much of a different number. But if you look at historic levels, if you look further back than last year, 5% is actually quite a low number. And you mentioned potential headwinds. Uh, what in particular are you seeing as the, the major factors that could slow Chinese growth? Sure. So one of the biggest headwinds I think facing the Chinese economy is the property sector slump. So since 2021, the Chinese property sector has been in troubles uh, because of crackdowns on you know the property sector and also very weak demand. And um, the property sector is actually very important for the Chinese economy because it, it accounts for about one, a quarter of Chinese GDP. So it matters a great deal uh, how the property sector is performing. Um, and also a lot of household wealth is actually tied up in the property sector. So when house prices are falling, which they have you know, been falling for the seven uh, consecutive months, uh, you know, consumers would 
bit more inclined to save rather than spend. So indeed, we've seen retail spend pretty weak in the second half of last year. And at the same time, deflation uh, seems to have set in uh, in the Chinese economy, even though the Chinese government refused to admit it. But We've seen consumer prices uh, being flat or falling uh, uh, 50% of the time in 2023. So if you expect prices to fall tomorrow, you'll likely, you know, hold off on your spending um, and save the money that you've got. So as a result, consumer demand is pretty subdued in China at the moment. And finally, we've got pretty weak external demand as well. So because of the aggressive interest rate hikes in the advanced economies, uh, demand for Chinese manufactured goods has been pretty weak. So exports uh, in China were actually down by almost 5% in 2023 compared to double-digit growth rates uh, in earlier years. So we expect that demand uh, from the advanced economies to remain soft um, because we expect monetary policy to remain restrictive for a period of time. Interesting. So challenges both internally and externally. Those are factors that are already unraveling or unfolding in China. Are there any kind of left field factors that you're watching for or things that you know we're not really incorporating as the central view, but something that could also cause uh, challenges to growth that we should keep an eye out for at least? Yeah, that's interesting. I think the property sector does pose the biggest downside risk to our GDP growth forecast. So I do think the risks to our baseline growth forecast are skewed to the downside. Even though we've seen the Chinese government announce, you know, various stimulus measures over the past year to to stabilise the property sector, we haven't really seen a material pickup or recovery in the property sector. So that has been a major weight on consumer demand and consumer confidence in China. So if we see the property sector weakness persist uh, in 2024, that could mean that the cycle between weak confidence and weak demand uh, also persist. And I mean, the Chinese government can easily pull another policy lever, such as infrastructure spending. They've, you know, resorted to uh, stimulus in infrastructure in previous crises. But the question is whether or not they are willing to do that, if they are willing to go down that route. Um the past year has shown others that the Chinese government has prioritised other objectives such as national security over economic growth. So it is unclear whether or not they will uh, continue to uh, stimulate the economy in a big, meaningful way in 2024. Okay, so overall, if, if I could summarise that, slightly slowing growth compared to last year, compared to historic levels, not too large, that growth, uh, and some possible headwinds coming up. That's right. So, Dennis, uh, we've talked about the Chinese economy. So can you draw some implications for agri-commodities? For our end, do you see any factors that may slow import growth from China on the agricultural side? I think it's in terms of looking at import demand into China for grains and oil seeds, there's two sides that we have to look at. Uh, the first one is from the economics perspective that you just talked about. So slightly slower growth likely probably means challenges on the feed demand uh, side of things and then possibly more challenges on the import demand for grains and oil seeds. From my side, what I thought I'll talk about, because we covered the economics uh, just then, what, what I thought I'd talk about is the fact that China's looking to become more self-sufficient particularly for crops that it has a heavy import reliance on, like soybeans, where around 85% of the consumption is accounted by 
imports. And they're trying to reduce that import dependence in, t- in two ways. Firstly, it's switch into or increase area of crops that are critical and have a high import dependency, again, for example, like soy, but also increase the yield of domestic crops, including through the adoption of, for example, GM crops that could have more herbicide or pest resistant traits. So for example, while corn and soy yield in the US were record 11 metric tons to the hectare and 3.4 metric tons to the hectare, respectively. This was the season they just had. In China, there were only 6.5 metric tons to the hectare and 2 metric tons to the hectare. So basically, the yields in the US are roughly double what they are in China. And China's thinking, if we can improve the yields locally, whether that's through uh, the adoption of GM crops or other methodologies, that could improve the uh, self-sufficiency they have locally. So in two ways there, they're they're trying to reduce their uh, import dependence. Interesting. So how do you think that will impact on Australian farmers? First of all, let's take the economics aspect of it. If the Chinese economy is slowing compared to previous years, it means their import demand is going to slow. And that's not good globally for demand. And Australia is part of that global picture because we export such a large proportion of what we grow. Now, on the self-sufficiency policy front, what type of impact is that going to have? Well, there's good and bad. For example, while they try to adopt more self-sufficient policies, in the meantime, one of the methods they're going to use to try to reduce the risks of having any trade disruptions uh, is likely to diversify the origins of their crops, where they get it from. And the good is, for example, maybe more is going to come from Australia or more is going to be imported from Australia in the, in the, uh, in the case of grains and oil seeds and maybe less soy and, and corn from the US. But the, the bad is that, just to give you an example, uh, Argentina was recently granted access to the Chinese market in terms of wheat imports for the first time. That was only last week. And Argentina typically harvests at the same time as Australia. So th- th- there's good and bad. Let's switch gears a little. Uh, what's been happening in grains markets uh, over the past week? Well, it's a bit more of the same. We've been a bit range bound. If you look at the likes of global corn and wheat prices, well, both down are both are down about 1%. Uh, if you look at the main drivers, well, consultancies are raising their estimates for, for example, Russian wheat production and production of corn uh, in, in the Americas. Uh, if you look at South America, well, apart from some low ball figures being thrown around, a lot of consultancies and industry bodies are actually pegging quite high crops. In fact, if you look at the Buenos Aires Grain Exchange, they raised their production for corn to 56.5 million tonnes. That's the highest on record they expect uh, this coming harvest to be. If you look at the US, last year, they they haven't planted yet. That's going to be around April, May. But last year, if you look at corn, the amount of area that was under drought conditions Uh, again, this is pre-planting, was 44% at this time last year. Right now, it's only 36%. So they're going into the year uh, in a lot more favorable conditions. Now, uh, what else has been happening? Well, in the Red Sea, the disruptions still remain. Houthi attacks are still happening. We had in the last week a British oil tanker hit and caught fire. We had a vessel carrying Australian livestock that was reportedly fired upon, or, or maybe there were warning shots, and, and then it was turned around and had to head back to Australia. As we mentioned in the previous podcast, the issue with the Red Sea is causing disruption to flows of grain 
from north of the Suez Canal, so whether it be in Europe or the Black Sea heading to Asia, which is actually good for our pricing because if you're sitting in Indonesia or, or, or nearby, you're going, well, I need grain now. Where am I going to get it from? There's uncertainty of getting it through the Suez Canal, so maybe I'll get it from Australia. Uh, we had APW one wheat prices up slightly over the last week and SFW, so feed wheat, up around 1.6%. Uh, the only other part I think I'll touch on here is that malt barley, uh, the demand side of things keeps suffering. And for now, we're seeing pressure on prices around the world in, in key markets. So whether that be France uh, or Argentina or Canada. What about the oil seats and pulses side of things? Well, if we look at the canola side of things first, and we look at European canola prices, it's important to us uh, what's happening in Europe because we send the vast majority of our canola that way. Uh, European prices finished around a percent higher, not too much of an increase. Uh, the main reasons uh, were that that rising transit risk in the Red Sea is preventing uh, the, the normal flow of canola from Australia to Europe. And also we saw a rise in palm oil uh, in palm oil markets over the last week as there's issues with production uh, in Southeast Asia due to El Nino. Now, the thing that's really holding back any significant price rises, uh, price rises pardon me, is that we're seeing increases in the global uh, soybean stock picture. So if we look at South America, crop estimates keep rising for Argentina up to around 52.5 million Tons. We've already talked a lot about the possible declines in demand uh, on the feed side of things, which includes the likes of soy meal, uh, soy uh, canola meal as well. Uh, so the associated issues with demand coming from China. Uh, if we look in the local uh, canola price front, very little change compared to last week. A little bit of a dip on the GM canola side of things. Non-GM largely flat if we take an average of all the port zones. On the pulse front, uh, there's been a 4.5% rise in chickpea prices. Uh, I think the most important things to keep an eye on is that India is about halfway through its uh, rabbi crop growing period and many areas remain dry. If you uh, look at a consultancy called AgPulse Analytica, they're saying around 30% of area received, of, of cropping area for uh, the rabi crop received no rain over January uh, and around another 40% has been seeing very limited rainfall. Uh, planting's almost done over there uh, and and we, from the data we're seeing, it's around 6.2% lower. That's uh, chickpea planting uh, in India. So demand from India for pulses overall is expected to be strong this year compared to last year. Um, otherwise, uh, markets are also watching for a boost of demand coming into Ramadan. So whether that's lentils or chickpeas, over the next month, month and a half, we could see a bit of strength in demand uh, until Ramadan comes around. I think now is a good time to wrap up. We covered a lot of ground on this podcast. We've talked about our outlook for the Chinese economy. We've also talked about the reasons for a possible reduction in import demand into China for grains and oil seeds. We have also discussed uh, increasing production around the world and the geopolitical risks uh, bubbling away. Is there anything you'd like to add, Dennis? I think uh, just to sign up to the podcast, download the report. Again, that's at www.combankresearch.com.au. I think I added a, a one too many Ws there. Uh, make sure to reach out to your local banker if you have any questions about how to sign up to reports. And also you can follow us on social media, whether that's LinkedIn uh, or X or as it was called Twitter before uh, for any more frequent updates. Uh, and I think, yeah, let's, let's wrap up on that. Thanks for being on the podcast, Carol. Thanks for having me on.